Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Jacob Heilbrunn, who is editor of The National Interest and a frequent contributor to the Americano podcast. And we're going to be asking, why on earth is Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan? Jacob, let's start with that question. Why is why on earth is Nancy Pelosi, an 82-year-old woman, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, going to Taiwan um, today? Well, Freddie, the elderly do like to travel, <laughs> especially in their, in their dotage. But I don't, I don't think that's why Pelosi is going to Taiwan and this Asian circuit. The answer is actually pretty simple, that she is from California and has always tried to prod China. She has been an activist for decades in sounding the alarm about China, particularly on its human rights practices. And don't forget, of course, California, there's a huge Asian population there that is very interested in these issues. And Pelosi is more than happy to rile up the Chinese. There was some footage the other day of her in Beijing a couple of years after Tiananmen Square, unfurling a banner denouncing mm. the, uh, the massacre that had taken place there. So I don't think this is new territory for Nancy Pelosi. There's, there's been a lot of talk about how uh, Biden's, what Joe Biden White House is uncomfortable with this trip, that, that they don't really approve of it, and they say they, they don't have any authority over, the con- over what the leader of Congress does in terms of their travels. I mean, surely if the White House wanted to stop Pelosi going, they could have done it, no? I suppose if they had said you absolutely should not go, then, then she would not have embarked upon a visit to Taiwan. But to be, to be honest, Freddie, I wonder if it isn't being overblown somewhat. There is a constituency in the U.S. Tom Friedman has a somewhat hysterical column in the New York Times today saying that Pelosi's trip could inadvertently lead to World War III, that we would have a two-front war with China and Russia. And that seems to me overblown. I found myself in the rare position of finding a Friedman column quite convincing. I mean, the, the Chinese have said, apparently Z said to Biden recently, you'd be playing with fire and whoever plays with fire gets burnt. They have even suggested that they might shoot down the plane. The, the obvious comparison is with Russia, which said for a very long time that it would regard Ukraine joining NATO as a, as a, a threat. China may well, just as Russia used Kamala Harris's badly judged words on Ukraine joining NATO, China may well use this as a pretext to do what it obviously wants to do and invade Taiwan. Absolutely not. Okay. I think the Biden administration is pursuing a more Reagan-esque foreign policy. You saw yesterday Biden announced the killing of Zawahiri. Mm. The... There is a strong anti-China lobby in both the Democratic and Republican parties. I think Pelosi is tapping into that. And while Biden himself is more prudent than, than many of the hawks in Washington, I think Pelosi may actually have called this right and that she is calling China's bluff. They will, make, they will stomp and make a lot of noise, 
But I don't think that the Chinese are going to either attack Pelosi or Taiwan. And the, the interesting question will be, does this visit, in fact, mark a turning point? Does it suggest that America is going to step up its aid and support for Taiwan? And will it, in having increased hostilities and antagonisms between China and the United States, actually lead to a intensification of diplomacy between the two sides to avert a similar outcome in the future? Any, anything is possible. I just don't think that this visit should be overblown. I don't think it's a disaster. And I actually think Pelosi is showing some guts in going there. Are you sure you're not being a little too sanguine? I mean, the U.S. has moved several warships Freddie, into the region. Freddie, you don't mean sanguine. You mean glib. Glib. <laughs> no, I mean sanguine. You never glib, Jacob. But I think that the U.S. has moved several warships into the region. We're told this is routine, but it doesn't seem that routine. There seem to be quite significant troop movements in China towards Taiwan in response. We could be on the brink of a quite serious war. I don't believe it. This, I think, if anything, and you of all people should know this, Freddie, is that Pelosi resembles Margaret Thatcher, where the men start to go wobbly, and she is displaying a degree of determination. And she's saying, essentially, she's saying bollocks. I'm not cowering before China. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not someone who is a ardent China hawk. I, I don't think the relationship between U.S. and China is doomed. But I also think it's a mistake to attempt to uh, appease the Chinese when they bluster like this. No, they do not have the right to conquer Taiwan. It is perfectly appropriate for Pelosi to go there, and they're going to have to suck it up. Well, they don't have the right, but they might have the might. I mean, as reports suggest now, the Chinese Navy is bigger than America's. Do you think America can really afford to stop or, or is America able to stop China from taking Taiwan? At the moment, yes. We also don't know that China can take Taiwan. As you saw in Ukraine and as the Chinese leadership knows, when was the last war that China was involved in? It was in Vietnam in 1979. Their troops are not battle tested and battle hardened. Once they go into combat, they simply do not know how their army will fight and how it will respond to a determined adversary. I don't believe that Xi Jinping is a reckless gambler like Putin. I think we're going to hear a lot of noise, saber rattling, which we're already hearing. They're already pushing up their ships and they're, they're buzzing Taiwan with their, with their airplanes. But I do not believe that they are going to let the visit of someone whom you initially described as an 82-year-old woman, prompt them to embark upon a catastrophic war. Well, I didn't mean to insult her by saying she's 82. It just does strike me that's, that she is very, very old. And in her press conference yesterday, I think it was, she did not sound entirely cogent. Well, look, American politicians are never as eloquent as British ones, so you shouldn't measure them by that standard. And she, she may have been a little tired. But I think the main point that she's making stands... And it is interesting that she is not flinching in the store, in, the, in what amounts to opprobrium from a weak-kneed American press 
And the Biden administration, until now, it's, it started to turn around, but was very concerned about her visit as well. I just am more sanguine about this than, than most of the commentators. Well, I think, so, so there's a conspiracy theory already sort of looming that this is all uh, shadow play. And that, in fact, Z is facing a very difficult time at home. The Chinese property bubble may be finally go pop spectacularly. The economy is teetering. It's got uh, population problems and so on. There's all sorts of things domestically that are troubling Z. And so, therefore, the chance to sabre rattle at America is, is useful for him. And then it might also be useful for the Democrats to have a win and that they can go ahead with this, this visit. And both sides get to look tough and feel like they have a win. Do you think there's any truth in that? Definitely. I think that's a, another cogent analysis on your part, Freddie. <laughs> uh, sorry to keep harping on the word cogent, but it is a nice word. Biden actually is pretty tough. And I, th- I think what's gone missing in the analysis of his presidency is that he is a product of the Cold War. He is not a product of the, of the post-Cold War. So he, he's fully comfortable in dealing with these crises. And while he may have thought that Pelosi was a bit of a red flag in the face of the Chinese, and let's not forget, the the one astute point that Tom Friedman does make in that New York Times column is that China has been, as far as we can tell, quite cooperative with the United States in terms of refusing to assist Russia in any major way in its conflict with Ukraine. But I still think, no, she cannot afford a war on the brink of his new coronation at the next party Congress in a couple months where he's going for yet another, for an unprecedented term. He's essentially cemented his rule as the quasi-emperor of China. Do you think it's the case that just as the Ukraine conflict, it clearly helped China in the sense that it, it made Russia sort of global enemy number one, Again, do you think any escalation of tensions uh, between America and China over Taiwan is a boon to Putin? This is what Putin wants. I'm sure he'd love to see it. And look, if the United States and, and China became embroiled in, in a war in, over Taiwan, oil prices would, would soar. It would be devastating for the world economy. And then you are getting closer to a world war scenario which no one wants. Mm. But it would, be, it would be catastrophic for China as well. They're totally reliant on oil imports. They can't afford to see the price of oil go to three or $400 a barrel over a conflict which they know in China, over Taiwan, is purely symbolic. But I mean, in terms of oil, China, I realize that China is uh, short of oil, but I mean, China will have the access to Russian oil, access to oil from the stands in a global conflict, China has better access to to the fundamental materials it needs than we do, perhaps. Well, not exactly. I mean, the United States is is an exporter of energy. It's just that the the oil market is so tight that any con any a major conflict like that would traders would would go berserk. Mm. It's it's not something that I don't think China or the U.S. wants. And you talked about Russia being enemy number one. Well, that is a direct product of its own actions, including in Britain, by the way. Mm. 
I, I think that it's clear that Putin is much more of a gambler. You can compare him to Khrushchev. As I think Henry Kissinger said that that's that, I think in an interview with The Spectator, with Andrew Roberts, mm. he said mm. that he thought that Putin was closest to Khrushchev in the sense of this recklessness. Stalin, too, was, was more calculating, I think. I don't, I don't see, no one seems to see Xi in the mold of Putin. The Chinese seem to be more patient, more strategic. Mm. But other, going back to Nancy Pelosi, other than a, um, a symbolic gesture and a, and a kind of another prod in the eye to China, which she, as you have said, she's been a consistent opponent and voice, a humanitarian voice against the Chinese for a long time. What is the, what would be the purpose what, I mean, is it just a symbolic gesture to say, I won't be cowed? No. On Capitol Hill, in both Democratic and Republican congressmen, this is one of the issues that they do agree on, which is that China poses a mounting threat both to its neighbors and the United States in, in terms of its military, its, its economic might, and its avidity for stealing intellectual property in the United States. Now, I fully acknowledge that China is an adversary of the United States. I do not see it, as many of these legislators do, as a new Soviet Union, an ideological threat to the United States that is grasping for global hegemony. That seems to me overwrought. Jacob, been a very calming contributor to Americano today. Thank you very much indeed. I guess perhaps we'll talk again if World War Three starts. Absolutely, Freddie. I will look forward to it. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 